stories of innovation and success from the vibrant communities of rural Nova Scotia. This is Ignited. Hi there, thanks for listening. I'm Wade Cleveland. I work for a rural innovation hub called Ignite, and I'm here to tell you some great small town and rural success stories. Today I'm taking a look at the music industry through the eyes of an East Coast industry leader, Trevor Murphy. But before we get to the conversation, how'd you like to hear some of his music? This is his band, Quiet Parade, and the song, Young Hearts. song Young Hearts from the band Quiet Parade, led by our guest today, Trevor Murphy. Now, Trevor has an interesting story to tell. He's leapt full on into pretty much every aspect of the music industry in Nova Scotia, and in doing so, he's become a true industry leader. He's a musician and a songwriter, a publicist, a manager, and a record label owner through his company, Acadian Embassy. He has a journalism degree and an award-winning radio show, Halifax is Burning. With his French-language band, Sluice, he won the Music Nova Scotia Award as Francophone Acadian Artist of the Year, in addition to Publicist of the Year. Welcome, Trevor. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Oh, I'm very happy to be here. Thank you. Well, let's let's start at the beginning. Obviously, <laughs> okay. as, a, as a young guy, music was everything to you. Yes, yeah. I mean, I think uh, all credit due to growing up in Yarmouth County, honestly. I, and I kind of came from a generation... There was, there was like a whole music community. Certainly there was a music community here in the 60s and 70s that I didn't really know anything about. I knew some of those key players, like Fred Hatfield, of course, who was an early mentor of mine in uh, at the Vanguard. But then, uh, you know, my kind of mentors were people like Brian Borchard and bands like Burnt Black. But they, because I grew up out in the country, they were... St- I didn't really know about them till too late. And so it was only by virtue of starting to play in and around bands in high school. I went to SAR, Ecole Saint-Angeriso, and then kind of finding out after the fact that there was this whole music scene in Yarma. So I was part of this kind of like what you might call like a second wave indie rock of, uh, of music community here in Yarmouth. And that really was the thing that got me going, whether, I mean, at the beginning, I couldn't play anything. So I was just hanging around in my friend's basements and watching them practice, honestly. Like, I would go to Eelbrook and just sit in my friend's basement because I was so excited to see them play. <laughs> and then uh, from there, started, you know, kind of dabbling and singing, which was at the time, uh, admittedly, not very good. Uh, and by myself a bass. And it all kind of started from there. But we had a really excellent music scene when I was, you know, probably, I, I probably started when I was around like 15. 
one of my best friends at the time, well, two of my best friends, Cody Porter and Josh Pache, uh, who I will probably talk about a lot, Josh, because he's kind of followed me across my whole career and we call him Pinky. So if you hear me calling somebody Pinky, I'm referring to Josh Pache from Yalebrook. You know, they had a band called Plus More and I was their number one fan. And then eventually, I don't really know kind of how things happened or where they happened, but Cody decided to start playing some music on his own and then recruited myself and Pinky to play in a band called Alan Benjamin. And so that was kind of, yeah, like, I think our first record came out like 2001, 2002. And so by the time 2003 came and I moved to the city, I was actually almost at the end of my time in that band. So I was funny, I was driving down Water Street the other day. I remember taking my lunch breaks at the Vanguard, going to the, um, the Ice House, because that's where Cody worked. And on our lunch breaks, we would just sit there with guitars and try and write songs. So that was kind of like what life was like for me as a as an 18 year old musician in Yarmouth. This is kind of typical, though. There's a, there's a lot of that going on. And my question to you is, where does that lead to where you ended up? Because th- there has to be quite a flow there. You're, you've worked in publicity. You've worked in developing your own record label. At what point did you decide, OK, I'm going to do this. I mean, really do this and make it my job, if you will. Yeah, well, I wouldn't say there was there, as with many things uh, in my career, there wasn't one moment. There wasn't sort of like a catalyst moment. It just all feels like a continuous snowball to me. And just stepping in with, I think first and foremost is like recognizing your skill set. I'm an extremely hyper-organized person. You need to book a show. I'm a logistics guy. You need to get your album together. I'm going to help you put together your timeline. You know, those are things were very true for myself when I was 16, just as much as they're true now that I'm 38. So, you know, that's half my life ago. You don't need a degree to be in the music industry. You don't, you don't even need experience. You just need to have the will. And I was obsessed with music, continue to be obsessed with music. So any way that I could be involved, I tried to get myself involved. And really for anybody who's interested in a career in the music industry, that's the first step. Just show up, show up and say yes to people, you know, learn some things, learn on the fly, make some mistakes. That's going to be the best education you can have in the music industry, hands down. And for me, I think I just started to expand that reach a little bit through playing in bands you know you kind of when you play in a band you take on some leadership roles in an effective band everybody has the capacity or should have the capacity to take on certain kind of roles so very early on in some of my bands I was the person who was booking the shows for example I also could do a little bit of graphic design so often I was working on making posters and doing promotion already early on you know even something as simple as making posters and putting them up in your high school is like a very early step into publicity and promotion and marketing you know whether you know it or not and I just kind of enhance those skills as I kept going. And the journalism degree certainly was the catalyst for me um, getting involved in publicity. And that was sort of because I went through the four years of doing journalism. And at the end of the four years, oh, much to the chagrin of my student loans, decided, ah, you know what, I don't really want to be a journalist. You know, I, 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 I was much more interested in the arts and I was much more interested in feature writing and television and, and sort of that kind of side of things, the creative, more creative kind of artistic journalism. And in Halifax, there wasn't a lot of room for that kind of thing unless you could get a job at the coast, which was very hard to do. So I ended up kind of going to school and keep doing things, keep doing other things. But at the same time, my friend Matt Charlton started a company called Pigeon Row, and it was a publicity company. 
and he had done a PR degree and was similar boat, like had been in bands, had always been interested in music. So we were friends from around this community. He happened to be dating my roommate at the time. And I just said to him one day, when you get to the point where you need some help with this, like I'm in. I'm, I would love to help you. And that's really how it started. It started as sort of like an hourly gig. He got me to come in and start putting together CDs to mail out to campus community radio stations across the country. And then I started working, you know, eventually on my own client list and my own projects running things. And then there was a certain point for the last probably five or six years at Pigeon Row where I was the only publicist because he had maneuvered the company into a different direction and, and was doing different things. So I worked for that company for almost 13 years, but it was all, you know, on the graces of him just saying like, yeah, come on in, you know? Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the music community, it's a fairly closed community. So it's, it's easy to get to know people. And I would think that that would be key to what you do. In other businesses, you'd call it networking. And I suppose here you'd call it networking as well. But it is. It's just a matter of getting to know everyone. Yeah, getting to know. I, I, we absolutely call it networking for sure. And I mean, as a publicist specifically, that is the job. The job is to know people and people pay you to know people. You know, really, that's what I tell people hiring a publicist, you're hiring someone for their Rolodex, essentially, and their trust. You know, like if you hire me to do a project and I say yes to it, it's because I think there's something of value there and I can help you, you know, accomplish your goals. And the people that I then turn around and pitch that to understand that I'm coming to them with a quality project because we have a relationship and I haven't steered them down the wrong road yet. Or, you know, or I'm giving them things that I know that they're going to like, et cetera, et cetera. So, yes. So from from that side of things, the publicity networking and, and relationships is absolutely key. But so is playing in a band yeah. because that's how you book shows with other bands. That's how you get to know other people. That's how you start inviting industry professionals to your show. And in the music community in Nova Scotia, we're lucky that we have an organization like uh, Music Nova Scotia, for example, who facilitates a large scale event every year where not only you can put that into practice, but you can actually practice it, you know, and, and you, it might not always pay off, but it's a good thing to attend and to uh, learn how to do that kind of networking and um, meet with people from delegations from, you know, they've had people come from Iceland and Estonia, but they've also have people come from Toronto and Montreal, you know, so it's a way of, yeah, just putting yourself out there and being in rooms. I think being in rooms is is an unheralded skill of being in the music industry. Just showing up is is half the battle sometimes. Yeah. How did all this lead to Acadian Embassy? It's a very long and and kind of disjointed story, I would say. But the short version is is that in uh, I think it was you know about 2007 we moved into a house. Myself, the aforementioned Pinky. My girlfriend at the time and his girlfriend at the time. And our friend group had a history of giving our houses nicknames or our apartments. And we decided to call the place Acadian Embassy. And because we had played in bands for many years, at this point we had been playing in bands for, I dare say, almost 10 years together. Uh, but he had kind of his own projects that he was working on, both as a musician and kind of as a manager. And I had my own projects uh, where I, that I was doing as well, including uh, at that time, a brand new upstart band from Yarmouth called Rain Over St. Ambrose. And we kind of started the record label with that name 
as a way of documenting the things that were going to happen in that house because we converted our basement into a rehearsal space. It was like, there are the washing machines, there are the drums, you know? <laughs> and we wanted to make sure that we just kind of like chronicled what was going to happen because we're both big lovers of art in many forms. So we knew we were going to not only be rehearsing and recording stuff there, but doing video shoots and photo shoots. And, and, and also we had spent a lot of time on the road with another band called Sleepless Nights. And we're so, you know, when you travel across country in, in a van and people are gracious enough to let you sleep on their floor, you want to return that favor when their bands are coming through town. So we also knew we'd have other artists coming through. So it really just started as this cataloging system for things that were going to happen in there. And then it really spiraled into something completely different for me, you know, now almost 12 years later, but it started with very humble beginnings as, as a very like DIY kind of almost like punk influenced, let's just put out music and help our friends and spread the word as best we can and play shows together. You know, at what point do you realize, Hey, wait a minute, this is this is actually a business. This is this is real, a going <laughs> concern, if you will. And so now we have to we have to engage an accountant. We have to make those kind of things work. Uh, at what point did it become real to you? I guess. Well, I think when you know boxes of records start coming into your house and you have to find places to put them because these are now pieces of merchandise you have to sell, or you're settling up invoices for your T-shirt orders, or even doing the accounting for uh, the show you played last night. Those bits of realism kind of always click in. But I think because we were always running it as I was I would call it like a professional hobby. I think like we were doing those things and, and doing them ourselves. But we were also like working full time jobs. You know, I was working the publicity gig pretty much full time and or going to school. And Josh had a job. And that was the dream was like, wouldn't it be great if we could only do this? There are varying degrees of of realness that kind of made their way through it. And, you know, whether it's like the first check you get for getting a song on the radio, your royalties check, or whether it's doing a sold out show in Halifax for the first time, there's sort of like steps you go through to go like, okay, yeah, like maybe we could really do this. And then eventually Josh moved to Toronto to work in the music industry and had some really awesome things going on. So I kind of took over the helm and, and then in the last, I would say it's only really in the last two years where I've said like, I think this could be my company and just do this and figure out a way to kind of like diversify how that money comes in and how, you know, the things that we're doing, because I am a person who does a lot of things in the music sector, in the creative sector, I would say, like I just incorporated the company this year oh, okay. in February. So we're, you know, that's less than a year old. So now it feels real. Like maybe for the first time, 12 years after the fact, it feels very real right now. All right. Well, you, you were talking about how busy you are and how you kind of always are doing a lot of things. And that, to me, when I think of you, that's what I think of a guy who's doing a lot of things all at once. I wanted to touch upon, and this is as good a time as any to, your radio show, Halifax is Burning, which is, it's a college radio show. It focuses on independent local artists. It features Nova Scotia music, and it is an award winner, and it repeatedly wins awards. So congratulations on that. Uh, some of your uh, your interviews have been just amazing, I've got to <laughs> tell you. you. I'm really glad you could listen to them, yeah. Uh, coming from, you know, who I consider to be the voice of radio in Yarmouth County, that is very high praise. Thank you very much. Your interview with Jerry Grinelli is just, it's amazing. And you got to interview uh, a jazz 
God before he passed away. I mean, that's that's quite a thing. When I when he passed, I went back and listened to it because it was such a a great experience for me. And as you know, I'm not much of a jazz person, truth be told. But the thing that I love about Nova Scotia is that we have this incredible community of musicians and they range from the completely unknown to the super known. And that was the entire purpose of starting that radio show. So I've, I actually ended the radio show in 2019. I went out on a high note uh, after 10 years, felt good about the, the work that I had done there. But the whole point was because we would go out on the road and there's such a reverence for Nova Scotia and particularly for Halifax, anywhere you go in this country, if you're playing in Lethbridge, Alberta, people will go Halifax. Yeah, like we got to go there, you know. And so the whole purpose of the radio show was to just say, like, I think sometimes at home we take it for granted that we have this amazing community here. And I just wanted it's it really started off as like a listings show. If you're interested in going to see live music this week in Halifax, here's where you can go out and see music and here's who's playing. And then slowly it kind of morphed into trying to be a little more evergreen in case you didn't catch the show on Tuesday. You'd still enjoy the music and it wasn't tied directly to those shows. But it opened up some really awesome doors for me as a as a person who loves interviews and loves talking to musicians about their process or about their their kind of creative style or even to have new bands come in and kind of be excited to be on the radio for the very first time like those things were very energizing for me so um yeah it was a lot of fun and i actually just this year got a a radio a paid radio gig for the first time in my life because that was all volunteer work which was lovely um, and then I've been by, by nature of some of the work we've been doing at Acadian Embassy, my new French band, notwithstanding, uh, a friend of mine who works for Radio Canada in Halifax called me up and was like, do you want to be the music columnist on my new afternoon drive time show? So, uh, I've been really lucky to be able to kind of like once a week, jump back on the radio. And it's the same thing. It's called, uh, La Chronique de la Musique la Côte Est, which means it's basically got a music, a, a music column for music from the East coast. Right. And I just get to talk about East Coast bands again on uh, just in French this time. It's really exciting to be able to do that. Yeah. And you're you're absolutely right. We are ridiculously rich in musical talent here in Nova Scotia. Halifax is a scene that's kind of amazing and has been amazing for many years. But even talk about here in southwest Nova Scotia, we have got some of the most ridiculously talented people who are just playing literally kitchen parties. Yeah. And and really not going any further than that. You're going to find people who play. And I think, you know, when it comes to, you know, we're here to talk about the music business. And I think one of the biggest misconceptions about music business in quotations is that there's only one path towards success, whatever success may be for anyone. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important uh, to have a conversation about, which I think we've done in the industry pretty poorly thus far. But if you're just, not just, if you're a, a musician whose interest lies in playing at the pub on Saturday night and you're making a couple hundred bucks and that's making you happy and that's your way of being in the music industry, then that is just as valid and valued as someone who is quitting their job and going on the road 200 days a year. You know, they're just different lanes. Mm-hmm. And I think the mistake that a lot of people make when they try to, to get involved in the music industry is that they just follow the path that seems to be the the path in, you know, capital T-H-E. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's going to work for like 1% of the people, truth be told. My job now is to work in the creative sector. Right. 
I am a musician, but I'm also a communication specialist and I'm also a radio host and I also manage bands and I do, I run a little company, you know, I do a whole bunch of different things. And the sum total of those things is what allows me to be an employee of the creative sector and for the first time ever be my own boss. So it's not like I'm only playing music. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, obviously, like, I would love to be doing music a lot more, but I'm working my way towards that. And I have just found different ways of being involved. And it allows me a kind of more holistic view of what it means to be part of a music industry. And I think it's really important that especially young people understand that it's like a diversified game. You got to have more than one way of making money, but you also have to realize that like if you're trying for 10 years to do the thing and it's not really panning out, it's worth asking yourself what's going on here. And is this working? And are there other things that could be working? Because I think that's the other common mistake is people say, well, there's, I'm not going to make it. Well, what does make it mean? What is yeah. making it mean to you? What do you want to do? And what makes sense for you to go out there and try to accomplish as a goal? You know, not everybody's going to get on the top 40 billboard charts. You know, very few people, in fact, will do that. But that doesn't mean you can't have a, a like healthy music career in your home community mm-hmm. and still make a couple hundred bucks on a Saturday night and have that be fulfilling. You know, those things are just as valuable to people in the music industry, I think. I, I live in a small town where that's kind of the way it's done. Because as much as anything, you're hoping for the opportunity to have those small venues that you can play all the time. And if that's probably the biggest problem that I see within uh, this particular area. But as long as there are places to play, somebody's going to play them. And as long as there are kitchens on a Saturday night, people are going to be making that music. Because music is so much more than just a business. It's a way of life. It's 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 an art and it's a feeling. Yes. And this is the thing that I think is so difficult when it comes to being able to express why it's important as a musician to be out in the community. It's like if you're an accountant, you have a job and the job is to crunch those numbers and to do this X, Y, Z for clients. And then at the end of the day, that's kind of where you put it. But if you're an artist, you know, there's not many intangible benefits that come around from from being an accountant we all need accountants thank you very much for doing the numbers you know but but as an artist you put things out in the world and sometimes those things are for you sometimes those things are for other people sometimes nobody will ever hear them or see them but that doesn't mean they're any less valuable and if you you know when's the last time you walked into a room there was no music playing when's the last time you went to a restaurant there was no art on the wall these things are just part of our lives and i think it is that kind of value that means you should find ways to make that make you happy if that's the path you want to go down. You have a joy. And and this is what I love about uh, playing generally. But sometimes you see bands and they get on stage and I think they think that in order to be legitimate, they have to look like they're not having a good time. <laughs> yeah. You always look like you're having fun. Oh, well, that's very nice. Yeah. I mean, uh, sometimes it's quite stressful. I feel like uh, it's... I'm glad it comes across that way because sometimes you're you're never quite sure. But it's something I think in my recent years, especially after the pandemic, you know, you play those shows and you think like, oh, we could have 
done this and oh, I messed this song up and there weren't enough people there. And all of those things are very important. You want to get better. You want to be the best at what you do. You want to have people in the crowd, you know, all those things, you know, they're worth paying attention to. But I think one of the things that I've really learned to do over the last three years is to kind of say, like, every time I get up on stage or have the opportunity to be on stage, Number one, I get to do that with my friends. And isn't that a wonderful thing? And number two, the fact that anybody shows up and wants to hear these songs that I write out of nowhere, that is just an incredible experience. And being part of a band is so unlike so many other things because you get you get this family kind of aspect to it, but then you get these these wonderful connections with people who you don't really even know, but people, you know, I feel the exact same about music. Like it's nice that people feel the same way about my songs, or at least, you know, I hope they do, the way that I feel about other people's songs because those songs that I love change my life. And I'm not saying that I think my music changes people's lives, but it's nice that people listen to it and that they have like a bit of, re- of a reverence for it. And isn't that a, a lucky thing? Like how... Not a lot of people can say that, right? All told. So I feel like I'm trying to take this perspective of every time I get on stage now, just be grateful for that moment and to live in that moment. And I'll never forget this one time. Pinky was doing a podcast uh, interview with a really good friend of ours from St. John. And he described being in a band as being a vehicle for experience. And that will live with me as long as I live because the it is so true. The things that you get to do by very nature of being in this weird troop of people who can also play instruments, you know? Sometimes that brings you across the country. Sometimes that brings you back home. Sometimes you get to play a cool show in somebody's basement, you know? But you might not, and chances are you would not have been able to do those things had that not brought you all together, you know? And I'm just trying to be very conscious of that fact every time that I get to do something or even do an interview like this it's i love this stuff it's fun let's talk about sluice yeah it's the first time you've done a french language band yeah yeah what brought you to it well part of that is the acadian part of acadian embassy um because when we started it we didn't really put too much thought into the why of the name other than the fact that three of the four of us living in that house were acadians and we're like oh that's a fun name Mm -hmm. and we had always talked about our acadian roots But as we started, you know, doing more press and doing putting out more records, you know, we helped uh, Josh's band. They had a great band called Cuado, which was an instrumental band. And they put out this record called The Great Upheaval, which was seven songs of instrumental music. And the theme of the record was the expulsion of the Acadians, you know. And so all of a sudden we're now starting to talk about our cultural history. And these things started to really infiltrate themselves into my brain because I'm a history nerd and I just love that connection between you know because of I think people like Brian Borchard and Paul Murphy and the bands from here who if you know where they're from you can get a little something else out of their songs because you know they're kind of talking about Yarmouth sometimes you know Mm -hmm. not all the time but it's definitely there and so I love that kind of like those little easter egg moments that pushed me into a direction where I got really into the idea of like what does it mean to be Acadian how am I an Acadian how am I how is my version of being an Acadian different than somebody in Halifax or Chetican or Moncton and really kind of took me down this road of relearning how to speak French because I grew up in a community where I was born in Yarmouth, but when I was six years old, we moved out to the country. I lived in Belleville very slightly, and then we moved to Surrettes Island. So I, I grew up for the most of my life here in Yarmouth County on Surrettes Island. Went to school from grade three to grade 12 in French. But as soon as I left school, 
I stopped speaking French. And that was for a whole host of reasons, partly because, you know, assimilation is very real and you move to an English city and I'm watching TV in English and listening to music in English and going to see bands and movies and whatever. And everything's my life is happening in English. Mm -hmm. But also being from around here, there's a lot of people and I'm certainly not the only one who develop this kind of we call it the paramba complex where you're like a little ashamed a lot ashamed to kind of speak your way of French because at various points in your life, you're running into people who are like, oh, that's cute, but it's not right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that has a like a pretty tremendous psychological effect on a lot of people, myself included. I would so, think so. So you don't want to speak French, really. So as soon as you're kind of out of the zone and then you're also in a school setting where they're like, speak French, speak French. And you don't really, you know, when you're 14, you don't understand why they're doing that. In retrospect, you can come to it with some appreciation, one hopes. But anyway, so all all that said, I had basically kind of like lost my capacity after growing up with that language to speak that language and decided that that was something I wanted to change. That was a really long battle for me to put myself, you know, like it really came around through work where somebody came to us and they were like, we want to offer you guys this publicity contract and we need bilingual publicity. And the guy I was working with said, you could do publicity in French, right? And I was like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, sure. I, sure, I can do that. And then it was just like feed into the fire. Here we go. And it was it was like, but I was a choice that I made. And then from that moment, I describe it as kind of like walking uphill. You know, it was like a slow walk up the hill. But now I'm kind of like at a point of that hill where I hadn't been before. I can speak French better than ever. It's a muscle. So by virtue of doing it more and by doing it more, you're meeting more people who are doing it. And then you kind of develop a little bit of a career in French. All those things kind of led me to a point where under the Acadian Embassy label, we had dabbled with this identity. So I mentioned the instrumental record. Okay, that was fun. Can we get away with this? You know, we're mm -hmm. English guys talking about Acadian stuff and this music has no lyrics, you know? What, what are people going to think, you know? I love that. And then in 2015, a friend of mine who was working at an organization called FECAN, which is the Fédération Culturelle Acadienne de la nouvelle Coste, which is basically an artist organization for Acadian artists of all kinds, not just musicians, an organization of which I'm now part of the board. So, you know, big full circle kind of thing for me. They really pushed me into being like, you know, you could write music in French, right? Like you, you could do this. And I was all like, no, 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 not me, not me. But then started dipping my toes into the water a little bit with Quiet Parade, which was kind of the only band I had at that time where I was the singer. And we recorded a French cover. That was kind of like step one. And it was like, okay, well, yeah, that kind of worked out and it was fun. And so that was also around the time where we were making a full length record with Quiet Parade. And I ended up taking a few of those songs for from the record and then going like, well, do you, maybe I could translate these. And then I did the translation and that kind of went well. And then we played a few shows and more French people were like, oh, cool. There's like a new French band. And all that stuff kind of materialized in a way of me understanding like that was maybe a possibility that I wanted to explore. But also at the same time, there's this boom of Acadian independent alternative music going on all around us, mostly in New Brunswick. So, you know, your Radio Radios, your Lisa Leblancs, your Hey Babies, Les Hôtes Dillard. Like for the first time, we're kind of seeing bands who are playing music on their terms, but doing it in French. And this all kind of culminates in me going like, OK, now I think many, many years later, 
even 10 years later after founding the label, I think, okay, now's my time. I'm going to do this. But it was a very personal process for me. So I wanted, even though I was very grateful and continue to be very grateful that the people in Quiet Parade kind of put their trust in me to be like, none of them could speak French, you know, at that time. And they were just kind of like, sure, man, do whatever you want. Like, we'll, we'll go along on this wacky ride with you. Uh, which was awesome and eternally grateful for. But it it was and still is a very personal process for me. So when I sat down to start writing songs in French from, because those were all translations or covers. So when I was like, I'm going to start doing this from the jump in French, I kind of knew I wanted it to be a separate thing because of that very intimate process. I didn't feel like I could necessarily share that experience with four other people or three other people unless they too had gone through it and as a, someone who's very interested in uh, and knowledgeable in sort of like the marketing of an album or how to tell people about it or talk about it I knew from the second I wrote the first word that that was just going to be like a very personal story and so therein lies the birth of Sluice which is this is an extremely personal project to me for a variety of reasons but it's also it yeah like you said it marks the first time that I started writing music in French all told so it was really fun for me to try it out and to kind of see already a bit of the success that has come with it. it it's like relearning everything it's a whole other world the French market it's awesome a couple of questions from what you've said first off the personal part of it does that add to the trepidation of actually releasing this is there an extra fear that someone will go ah, ah that's not come on, no not because well no two things number one having that kind of even though they weren't uh, what I would qualify as peers yet, but having people out in the ether who were doing that and who were were presenting music in a in a style. And the other thing, like the style thing, I think is really important because when I grew up around here, there weren't really French musicians, like professional musicians. Really, the only professional francophone musician I knew was Eric Surratt. Mm-hmm. And tremendous amount of respect for Eric. But when I was growing up, like that wasn't a style of music. I was ne- I was listening to the Deftones. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I have a much more of a reverence for that kind of music now and can like appreciate a lot more stuff. But when I was 14, you know, that really that didn't make me go like, oh, maybe I could be a French musician, you know. And then you had like some artists like Wendell and Philip. Same thing. And even they weren't like doing that as their jobs because Wendell was my guidance counselor. So I knew he wasn't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I think seeing other bands now do it and be like, well, we're going to be a hip hop band, but we're going to sing in Acadian French. We're going to be a folk rock band and doing it kind of without compromise of their style. That was really inspiring. But then I think also by the time I got to the point where I was comfortable enough and willing enough and ready to write music in French, it was much more of a like, I'm going to do this. I don't care what you think. That was really my attitude. Like, you don't like this, I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. And it's really that confidence that makes me a better French speaker now. Because one thing I've learned about the French community is that most people, especially in the Maritimes, that attitude doesn't exist. Like maybe people would be like, oh yeah, I can tell you're from a different place. But if you roll into a, a Francophone event and you at least try to speak in French, people are like, welcome home, buddy. Like, come on in. And so it's it was actually kind of a different experience than what I had. So it lended well to the music because the music is pretty rock and roll. It it's, is. It's like a it's kind of like an alt rock band. So the attitude is kind of there, but it also helps me just be so much more confident. And it also led me to talk about that record in a way that was like, this is how we speak where I'm from, 
and where I'm from isn't really represented on this map, even though there is a lot of Acadian music happening right now. And so I saw this project as a way of saying like, hey, it's really awesome that all this stuff is happening in New Brunswick and that there are, you know, really good things coming out of Clare. But like, don't forget about Southwest Nova Scotia and the region of Panaba because it's the oldest Acadian region on the planet. And we don't really see those people on those stages anymore talking the way that I talk with my mom when I go home, you know? Right. Sleuth has done pretty well. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> that has to feel great. It does feel good. Yeah, it and I think it's um the personal nature of this project cannot be discounted. I think when it comes to being a musician who is whatever level of success and however you define that success, authenticity is is kind of you walk into any music conference, you can't fake it. If you don't have it, you can't fake it. People see through that very quickly. And I think that authenticity of of the personal side of this project is really one of the things that I think people related to, certainly. But I would also wouldn't it wouldn't be totally truthful to say that this wasn't also a business decision. Mm-hmm. You know, there is part of this that is business oriented. And if you're making music, you're making music and competing with in Nova Scotia alone, thousands of other acts. Mm-hmm. If you're making music in French in Nova Scotia, maybe 10. You know, and then you kind of bobble that out a little bit in the Maritimes. It's like, okay, maybe a couple dozen. And so immediately the opportunities are more ready for you because you're a new band on the scene. The scene is actually quite small and they're hungry for new acts. And then also 20 years of music experience. So it's not like we're just some kind of like kid band learning how to play our instruments. Like I've recruited the best players I know to play in my band with me. I hire them as my backing musicians and we roll in to play a show and people are like, oh, who's this band? You know, or at least that's what I hope, you know. So I think, yeah, it is a matter of recognizing that as an opportunity for me and turning that key to say I can take advantage of this opportunity take advantage is like sounds a little greasy but I just meant I within myself can leverage these skills that I have similar to the music business and do that in a way that's going to maybe open some new doors for me and so far very lucky that that has happened for me in a in in quite a big way over the last year I mean we've only really we're talking right now it hasn't even been a year that we've been playing shows. Right. The record's been out for a little over a year. And our first live show ever was August 2021. So, you know, here we are a year later and doing really cool things. You know, before we even played a show, we were on national TV. You know, like those kind of things, they wouldn't have been possible if I was just playing music in English. Trevor, thank you so much for talking to us. It has been an absolute joy. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And I hope uh, some folks get out there and like check out some of the music that I've made with my bands and some of the music we make with other folks. But get involved in the music industry in some way or another. There's lots of room and everybody's welcome. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you subscribed, shared us with your friends and gave us a good review. And we'd love to hear from you. Our website is IgniteAtlantic.com and my email is Wade, W-A-D-E, at IgniteAtlantic.com. If you want to hear more of Trevor's music, check out QuietParade.Bandcamp.com or Sluice, S-L-U-I-C-E, dot Bandcamp.com. You can reach Acadian Embassy at AcadianEmbassy.com And you can find past episodes of Halifax is Burning at halifaxisburning.com. Let's wrap up the show with a song from Sluice. This is called Bunkers Island. Thanks for listening to Ignited. I'm Wade Cleveland. We'll talk again soon.